I thought that was a more recent song, but I guess it's got some ancient roots somewhere in there. Uh, yeah, I started a new series this morning called Commanding Love, and uh, it's something we're going to be kind of looking into, and there's a verse in, in, in Scripture that I've read many times before that kind of caught me off guard as I was looking into it, uh, and it goes back to what Bruce Almighty was struggling with. How do you make somebody love you without affecting free will? I mean, the very nature of love itself is where you get to choose whether or not you love somebody and who you love. That's the very nature of it. And you can't make somebody love you. I think Bonnie Raitt said it best. You can't make you love me if you don't. Just flat out, you can't. You can't force somebody love. You can't force love. Now, every Sunday, just about, I, I, if I miss it on a Sunday, forgive me for it, but I try to every Sunday just remind you that this life is about nothing more that having a loving relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, uh, that you grow and develop and build over time uh, so that you can enjoy it for all eternity. That's what this life is all about. It's about this loving relationship with God. Now, what's interesting is that although this life is about nothing more than our loving God, there's very little that seems to be written about loving God. I know because in preparing for this series, I was trying to go and find any resource I could, any books I could find about loving God. How do we love God? Exploring you know, our loving, for, you know, loving God more. How do you express our love for God? How do you grow our love for God? If you look up the words loving God, you will find hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of books out there on how much God loves you. Very few about loving God. I mean, it's just an endless stream of God's grace for you, his love for you, his sacrifice for you, uh, all kinds of self-esteem books tied to the love of God. But if you want to go over to Loving God, and now the first one I read was Chuck Colson's book on Loving God, which had seemed surprisingly very little to do with how to love God. It was just a bunch of stories from his life in prison fellowship. I'm like, this isn't really helping. And I read another one, and it was very little about us loving God, and it turns out really it was about how much God loves you. So, if it, if it wasn't books, what about our worship songs, right? I mean, what is worship anyway? Worship is a love song to God. I mean, when you're in love with somebody, oftentimes you listen to a lot more love music type songs, right? Because you, you know, want to, you know, you just never knew how much I love you, I love you, baby, all those songs, right? Well, think about our worship songs. How many songs do you know out there that are about how much you love God? Now, God's love for you, they're endless, Right? Your love never fails, uh, another, you know, the love of God, oh, how he loves us, Jesus, lover of my soul, reckless love, uh, defender, as you find me, or amazing grace. I mean, amazing grace. It's all about God's amazing grace for you, how much he loves you, cares for you, everything he's done for you. How many songs can you think of, though, that talk about how much we love God or need to love God or expressing your love for God? Uh, I can tell you, I went to our resident expert, Pastor April, and said, hey, can you give me the name of a couple songs where it talks about how much we love God? We came up with three. I know there's more. You don't need to Google it and try to find them and search the, search the you know, lyrics out there. Oh, I found this obscure one here. It says, I love God. There's a handful out there. I get that. But by comparison, there's a lot out there about how much God loves you. And there's very few songs out there where we try to express our love for God, which I find kind of interesting when you think about the fact that this life is about nothing more, not than God's love for you, I mean, that's important. That's, that's a key part of it. I mean, after all, this is how we know what love is, that God first loved us. Uh, that's how we learned what love was. But this life is about nothing more than you having a loving relationship with God that you'll enjoy for all eternity. Uh, now, I mean, add to that when Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing in life? What's the most essential thing? What's he say? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Matter of fact, our church was founded on that verse. 
Uh, if you ever look at our logo, if you kind of re-look at it, you'll notice that that atomic-looking symbol is actually four interlocking hearts. There's a heart going up, which reminds us that the most essential thing is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And Jesus says, and love your neighbor, which is why we have the two hearts going sideways, love neighbors that we're doing life together with in the context with our own church, our own church body, our own church family, table groups, small groups, life groups. But also, there's also others love for love of others who may be nothing like us. That's where we serve, whether we're serving here on campus or out in the community or out in the world or serving children in Nicaragua. Uh, as you love yourself, we simply say, love yourself enough to live a holy life. That's what our logo embodies is that verse. As I looked further, though, into that verse, over it's, it's, it's mentioned in all of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you look over in Matthew, though, Matthew 22, the context of Jesus' answer, though, it's, it says, an expert in the law asked Jesus, which is the most important commandment? Commandment. And he re- responds, the most important commandment is love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Now, I thought that was kind of interesting, a response, that the most important commandment is to love God, because I didn't really think of loving God as a commandment. I just kind of thought of it as something like, you know, we should do. It just seems odd to be sounding it as a commandment, right? So I went back to look up to see, like, where is this, you know, where is he quoting from? Uh, Jesus is actually quoting from a very well-known passage to, to, to people who grew up in Judaism, especially in that day and time. Uh, it goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's a passage that's known as the Shammai. Uh, Shammai is just the Hebrew word for hear or listen, because the very first word of this passage in, Hebrew, or in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. So the very first word is kind of how they summarize it. It's sort of like when we talk about the Lord's Prayer, what do people sometimes call the Lord's Prayer? They call it the, the Our Father, right? Why do we call it the Our Father? What's the first line of the prayer? So for them, the very first line of this prayer is, hear, O Israel. So the Shammai, that's what they call it, the Shammai. Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's Jesus' direct quote when he tells him the most important commandment. He says, these commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. By the way, whenever you come to, to child dedication, we always read this passage because he says, and press these commandments on your children. Um, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And when the Lord God brings you into the land, he swore to your forefathers, uh, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this land with large and flourishing cities that you didn't build, houses of all kinds of good things you didn't provide, wells you didn't dig, vineyards and olives grow you didn't plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, he says, be careful that you don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Notice he says, don't get complacent. Don't get to that point where you are enjoying all these wonderful things. It's so easy to get complacent in a relationship where you no longer appreciate what somebody does for you or cares for you, and you sort of lose that, that love, that loving feeling towards that person because you forget just how important or valuable they are. He says, I don't want you to get to that place. Now, I want to give you some context, though, on this passage here in Deuteronomy 6 because he says, love the Lord God, all your heart, soul, uh, and strength. These commandments, it seems like these commandments, well, when he says these commandments, he's referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you go back to chapter 5, you'll see he's giving the list of the Ten Commandments, which is often what we think about when we think about commandments, right? When you think about commandments that God gives you, we think of the Ten Commandments, right? Have no other gods before me, uh, keep the Sabbath holy, uh, honor your father and mother, all the thou shalt nots, thou shalt not kill, adultery, steal, lie, or covet. That's what we think about when we think of commandments, right? Well, in chapter 5, he tells the commandments. He gives the Ten Commandments. I need to give you some more setting, though, as to what's going on in the book of Deuteronomy. 
what happens is that the people come out of Egypt, right? They come out of Egypt, they go through the Red Sea, Moses leads them, they part the Red Sea. Uh, when they get uh, over into the Sinai Peninsula, uh, they go up on the mountain, or Moses goes up on the mountain, has a conversation with God. God gives them the Ten Commandments and brings it down, shows them to the people, has some issues there with that. Eventually, they lead the people over to the Promised Land, and then those people don't want to go in. And so God gets very frustrated because although God has shown his great love for them by delivering them out of slavery, has provided for them all throughout the wilderness, they don't have the kind of relationship with God where they're willing to trust God, even after everything that's happened, to be able to go into the land that God wants to give them. And so God says, fine, if you don't want to go, y'all can just spend the rest of your life out here in the desert, and I'll find somebody else. I'll, I'll, I'll bring your kids into the land. And that's a principle you'll see throughout Scripture. I don't have time to get into it, but if you won't, God will find somebody else who will. He would love for you to be a part of that blessing, but if you don't want to be a part of that blessing, that's fine. You can miss out. Somebody else will enjoy it. And that's exactly what happens. When you get to Deuteronomy, you now have the children, the ones who didn't grow up in Egypt. These are the children who grew up in the wilderness, and they weren't there when God gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And so what happens is that Moses is giving them the law for this new generation. The word Deuteronomy actually means second giving of the law. So for a second time, God's giving them the law through Moses because this generation didn't get the law the first time. What's interesting is that after he gives them the Ten Commandments, Moses goes into a lot, spends a lot of the book of Deuteronomy talking about our need to have a loving relationship with God. It's almost as if Moses recognizes that's what the, your parents missed out on. Like they understood how much God loves him. I mean, we sing the song Egypt, right? It's one of our worship songs, talking about how much God loves us. You made a way through the, through the wilderness. Uh, you split the sea so I could walk right through. That's another one of our worship songs. We, we love talking about how much God loves us. The problem with your parents' generation is, although God loved them, and although God gave them uh, some, some guidelines to help them live together at peace with each other with all men, they didn't seem to have a loving relationship with God like they needed to. And, so I, and before I just you know, give you the commandments and tell you how much God loves you, I also want to stress to you how much you need to love God. As a matter of fact, if you have a loving relationship with God, that sort of gives you fuel to all of those commandments anyway. But then I began to wonder, like, so when, when you get to chapter 6, when he says, love the Lord God with your heart, soul, and mind, these commandments I give you, is he really talking about loving God as one of the commandments? Or is Jesus just sort of summarizing up all of the commandments by saying all the commandments can be summarized up with loving God? So is loving God really a commandment of God, or is it sort of the summary of the commandments? You see, I might wonder that. Because in chapter 5, he gives the commandments, and then he sort of says, love God, keep these commandments. He doesn't say, keep that commandment, love God. He says, keep these commandments, like he's referring back to chapter 5. So I kind of wondered that. I mean, is God really commanding us to love him? Because doesn't that just sound odd if somebody were to command you to love them? Like, for instance, let's just say you as a dad, let's just say you had a teenage daughter who comes home and says, yeah, so I really like this boy, but I, I don't know, it's kind of weird. The other day, he told me that I, he like told me I had to love him. He like commanded me to love him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it gets better, Dad. <laughs> so I wondered, is that really what God's saying? Because that just sounds awkward. Well, if you go through the, and read the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see that right before Moses dies, right before like, his last like, swan song, his last speech to the people, he brings up this very thing again about their need to love God. Only here, he says it with no uncertain terms, pretty clearly, pretty explicitly. He says this in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He says, see... I set before you today life and prosperity, death or destruction, for I command you today to love the Lord your God. Okay, it's pretty clear. No ambiguity about that. And he goes on to say, and to walk in obedience to him, 
and to keep his commandments and decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're about to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn to bow down to some other God and give your love and worship to them, I'm telling you right now, this very day, you will be destroyed. You won't last long in this land that you're about to go into and possess. So this day, I call heavens and earth to stand as a witness against you. See, I've set before you the choice, life or death, blessings or curses. So choose life, that you and your children might live, that you might love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. So now, God's like up the ante. I command you to love me, and it's a choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Let's go back to dad for a minute. So your daughter comes home and says, yeah, so there's this boy at school, and we were talking, and I think he's kind of cute. I don't know. Anyways, he, he told me, he commanded me to love him and told me if I don't, it's a choice between life or death. Now how do you feel about this dad? Oh, oh, I'll tell you what's a choice between life or death. What's his name? Where's he at, right? <laughs> you don't tell my daughter it's a choice between life or death whether or not she loves you. After all, in the midst of knocking sense into this kid, would you not also try to explain to him this is not what love is? You can't force somebody to love you. You can't threaten somebody with love. And yet it seems like as if God's basically saying, it's like as if God's making you an offer you can't refuse, right? You love me or else. It's a choice, life or death, blessing or curse. You want to love me and live? You want to love me and get blessed? Or fine, don't. See what happens. See what happens to you. Death, curses, go for it. Now, whenever you read something in Scripture that doesn't seem to be in line with the heart or character of God, it's one of those moments where you sort of have to, instead of just sort of ignoring it and moving on, when something doesn't seem to make sense, that's the very thing you need to explore a little bit deeper. And so I began to look into this a little more, explore a little bit more, and just kind of pause and back up from it and think about what love is. Think about the nature of love for a minute. Think about what it means to love somebody and what it does to you. Uh, what I found interesting is that a lot of authors and motivational speakers talk about the influence that the people that you give influence in your life have over your life. Uh, for instance, some of these, these quotes you may know. I had to look up who said them. I just knew the quotes. Um, speaker and author Charlie Jones was known for saying, you'll be the same person five years from now other than the books you read and the people you, you, um, and the people you meet. In other words, what really has the power to change you is the books you read and the people that you meet. Said a different way, um, author and speaker John Ron says this, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And those are typically people that you have some kind of loving relationship with, or I guess some people may work with, who knows about that. And we don't know who said this one, uh, but it's very profound. People really never change. But sometimes love can change people. You've said that before, like, you know, people don't change. Well, but love does have the power. We all agree love does have the power to change people. And that, isn't that kind of what the principle the other two people are saying anyway? That you'll be the same person other than the people that you meet, people come into your life, and have because people have the power to have an impact on your life. Why? Because those are the kind of loving relationships that you have the opportunity to have. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. There's people who are in your life and a part of your life you've invited in. There's, there's probably some element of love there as well that they're playing off of that's given them the idea, and it's probably just best, best said by the guy we don't even know. He just says, you don't really change, but I'll tell you what, love can change you. And love can change you, right? 
I mean, just think about how love can, has the power to change people. Uh, it can change the way you look, your hairstyle, you know, what, you, what, you know, what color your hair is, whether, what style your hair is, whether it's straight or curly, whether it's, whether it's, it's, it's long or shaved off, uh, right? It changes the way you dress. I, it's, it's so funny. Middle school boys. <laughs> when they go into sixth grade, they care more about what their friends think than anything else. And so you'll see, they'll wear athletic shorts, athletic shirts. They may or may not match. A lot of fluorescence. Sometimes mismatched socks. Sometimes socks as high as pantyhose. You never know. And you look at them like, you're really going to wear that? Oh, yeah, yeah, man, it's cool. Man, all the guys are wearing this. And it's really odd. I don't know when it happens. It's different for each boy. But sometime between entering sixth grade and leaving eighth grade, the cost of their clothes skyrockets. <laughs> the style of their clothes dra- changes drastically. Uh, their shoe, the cost of their shoes skyrocket. The number of shoes they want increase. It used to just be one tennis pair of tennis shoes was good for everything. You play sports in them, you hang out after school in them, you wear them to school, wear them to church, whatever, and now, no, 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 they've got like their, their black vans, their gray vans, or, I mean, they've got all different kinds of ones, they've got sandals and flip-flops, I mean, there's no end to the number of, it's like, you've always got more shoes than women, what's going on with this? Was that wrong to say? I don't know. What do you think happened somewhere in middle school? Girls, their hearts and affections went from you know, their buds on the playground and, you know, having the coolest shoes to you know, impress their guy friends to all of a sudden, somewhere along the way, their heart got captivated by some girl. I'm not going to say there's always a woman to blame. Jimmy Buffett said that. Yeah. It'll change what you eat. I remember one time, my boys were like, you were eating broccoli? You must really like this one. If you know me, you know how much truth is in that. Uh, it'll change who you want to hang out with. It'll change what you do when you hang out, your hobbies, where you hang out, what you do. It'll change the kind of music you listen to. You ever have that friend, you're like, when did you start listening to country music? And do you, do you really buy a pair of boots? Oh, never mind, never mind, never mind. I got you, never mind. Mm, no, 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 I, I got No, that's cool. Uh-huh, uh-huh, that's good. Because you know, the only thing that can make somebody you know, completely switch genres of music is some sense of love or affection that would move them in that direction. Even the insurance companies know that lo- your love will change you. To the point where, I don't know if they still do, but they used to give you a discount whenever you started having kids. Because they know the only thing that has the power to get you to, ch- to drive the way that you're, or change the way you drive is kids, right? When you love and care for that little one in the backseat, it changes the way that you drive, Right? On top of that, it'll change what you drive. <laughs> Anybody else like me and trade in a red door, a red two-door sports coupe for a minivan? <laughs> Done that. I remember I was out at Mike Doom and Auto Sales when I bought the, bought the van, a van that I researched. The van actually said, oh, this is the one I want. Who? Yeah, I actually said, I really want this minivan. And I remember I was walking out and needed to get something out of my car that I left in there, and there's two salesmen looking out there, and I, I, they didn't know I was behind, they didn't know who I was, they didn't know that was my car, and I hear the guy go, another one bites the dust, man. <laughs> Red sports car comes in, minivan goes out, and they're laughing about it. What could possibly get a young guy to do that? 
love of his wife and love of his kids and wanting their convenience and comfort all of a sudden matters far more to them than, than what they look or what their appearance is. Now, to be fair, I got the minivan that had the best pickup of any of them and could take almost any car off the line. <laughs> you go back and look at the early 2000s Hyundai. The, I love the fact that you could, from a dead stop, if you hit the accelerator, you would literally burn rubber on the acceleration <laughs> because of the torque to weight ratio. It was awesome. I'm not going to say whether or not I purposely embarrassed some young guys at a stoplight once. I won't say that. But there were not any kids in the car. Love also changes how you see yourself. It has the power to move your self-esteem one direction or another. You know, think about what it's like when the person you love accepts you or rejects you. Isn't this another hard thing about being a teenage parent? Or a parent of a teenager? I should probably re-say that. Maybe either. I think it probably applies to both, actually. <laughs> kind of backed into that one. Uh, but, you know, when they love somebody, when you love somebody, you're giving them the power over your self-esteem quite often. But you've got to be careful. That's why the Bible says guard your heart. You've got to guard your heart. Because you're giving somebody the power to speak into your life, and you'll believe what they say to you when you love them. And if they accept you, you'll feel like you can conquer the world. If they think you're beautiful, then you're beautiful. On the other hand, if they reject you or criticize you or put you down, you believe it, right? Because you love that person. And you put so much weight and value into that relationship that they have the power to move you and to change how you view yourself and how you see yourself. If, if they put requirements on their love, then that's going to reshape how you live and how you act and how you even see love. I mean, think about when someone wants to be accepted by a peer group, what they'll do just to fit in. Why? Because they want to be accepted and loved by this group that they would love to be a part of. Or think about when someone loves somebody and they put requirements on the love over them. It changes you. It has a profound effect on you. Uh, it'll change your goals. It'll change your outlooks of what you want. I mean, I told you, I mean, what guy ever wants a minivan? But someday you want a minivan. Uh, it, it changes, you know, what your priorities are in life. All of a sudden you value things differently. A couple of years back, I did a series called When Life Sucks Everything Out of You, and it centered around this quote, around a similar topic. It was a guy named David Foster Wallace. He was an atheist who was a professor at a liberal arts school, and he went to give a commencement speech at another liberal arts school, and the stuff he said sounded like as if he was a Christian author speaker at somewhere like Liberty University there with Jerry Falwell in attendance. And people are listening to this going, what? What he said was this. Remember this. The guy's an atheist. He never even you know, professed any belief in any deity in any shape or form. But he says this. He says, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And perhaps the most compelling reason to choose a spiritual God like Jesus Christ or others is that pretty much anything else you worship is going to eat you alive. Now, the word worship is simply an expression of our love. When you worship something, you're expressing your love, your adoration, you're centering your world on that thing. So it's an interchangeable term. If you love or you worship money and things, and that's where you really tap into your meaning in life, you'll never have enough. You realize he's almost, he's almost verbatim echoing what Solomon says in the Scriptures? The one who loves money never has enough. 
you will feel you never have enough. We did a whole series on this, by the way, except for I would encourage you not to watch the opening video of the first message of that. If you know, you know. Yeah, see, if you know, you know. But it does drive home the point about how much is too much. If you worship or you love your body or your image, then you'll always feel deep inside that you're ugly. And when time and age start showing you, you will die a million deaths before they grieve you at your own funeral. If what you love or worship is power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will continue to need more and more power over others just to numb your own fears. If what you love and worship is your own intellect and wanting to be seen as smart, then you're going to end up feeling stupid and a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. He says, but the most insidious things about all these forms of love and worship is that they're unconscious, they're default settings. Now, wouldn't it make sense that if this life is about nothing more than a loving relationship with God that you'll enjoy for eternity, that the one who made you, God, who made you to have a loving relationship with him, he would made you such that you can't help but love. You're going to love something, right? You're going to love something. And we, we have an endless array of options for which to love and give our life to. Endless array of options for which to love and give our worship to. But the thing is, is whatever you love and whatever you worship has the power to change you and shape who you are. And God's made it that way. He designed it that way. So let's go back then to this commandment. Um, God says, I command you to love me. Is it like the Bruce Almighty thing where this weird, pathetic kind of thing where it's like, love me, love me, I, I, I command you. I mean, that almost seems to go against Bruce Almighty. It seems to go against what we know about love. It seems to go against what we know uh, about the scriptures. And is God really saying, you do this or else? Now, let's go back to the boyfriend again. Well, hopefully he's not the boyfriend. He's just that boy who's got a death wish <laughs> who told your daughter he's commanding her to love him or else it's a choice between life and death. Is that boy saying that for his benefit or your daughter's? Correct answer is his. All you young girls in the room, the correct answer is his benefit, not yours, okay? Hear me clearly on that. He doesn't care about you. He cares about himself and his own needs. And that's why he's telling you, you have to love him or else. When God says, love me, is he this needy boyfriend in the sky who's lost and lonesome desperately heartbroken over the fact that most of humanity has all gone away from him, and as one last-ditch effort, he's like, no, I command you, because he's in this moment where he needs that? Or is he looking at you and saying, the power that love has over you, and how important it is that the one that you give your most love to is one that will accept you unconditionally, value you for who you really are, tell you the truth about who you are and speak truth into your life, show you your worth and your value, who by loving me, it will so order your entire world and priorities such that you'll find that life goes better, you'll have life and life more abundantly, that you'll put everything in its right place and in its right context. And if that's the truth, and that's really what God is saying, Would not the most loving thing for God to do be to tell you, you need to love me? 
like the most emphatic way possible? I mean, if, if, if it's that big of a deal, if God were to say, I would highly recommend this, it would really behoove you, I really think you ought to, something you might want to consider. What's the, most, what's the strongest way that God can communicate it? Do this. Just do it. I'm telling you right now, do it. You have to. It's a matter of life and death. It really is. Not because I'm going to punish you or destroy you or curse you if you don't. You'll end up living a cursed life that leads to punishment and destruction and death if you love something else more than me. That's what Augustine says is the root of all of our sins. It's a disordered love. We love something more than we love God. Whenever you love something else more than you love God, it messes everything up. God created this world that you would love God and love people and use things. What's humanity do? Loves things. And when you love things, what do you do? You use God and you use people. That's the way it works out. But when you put God first and you love God, you find that the way that we express our love to God is by how we love others. And all the tools and the things that we have in this life are simply things we use to show our love to God and to show our love to people. It's just stuff, man. What lives forever? God and the people who are in relationship with him. He ends off this section with some sort of like, you know, point to this or key to this. Um, he says, you know, I set before you uh, life and death, prosperity, destruction. Uh, but then he says um, that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. One thing I, I try to implore to my kids early on was I wanted them to have such a loving relationship with me that my voice would matter to more to them than any other voice in their life. Because whatever, whoever you love the most is the voice you, allow, you listen to the most in your life. It really is. A hundred people could tell you you look great. But if the one you love the most tells you you look great, you believe it. If the one you love the most tells you you don't look great, you believe it. Which is why I never wanted any of my kids to have a better relationship with their coach than me. Because their coach doesn't know how well you're playing. Their coach doesn't care about you. They want to win. That's all they care about. I can tell you whether or not you played your best. And I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you what you need to prove on and what you did well. I want you to listen to my voice more than any others. Your friends, as much as you think that they love you or care about you, they don't. Not like I do. I want you to listen to my voice over all of theirs. I want you to love me more than you love your friends. I want you to love me more than you love your girlfriends. Is that because I desperately need your love for my own purposes? Or is it because when you listen to my voice above all others, it'll lead you to a better place, emotionally and in life? Is not God saying the same thing to you? And then he says, for the Lord is your life. You know, there's those t-shirts years ago, basketball is life, football is life. You know, what is your life? If your life is football, eventually you retire. Unless you're Tom Brady. I'm not sure if he's human or just some sort of cyber bot. <laughs> is he not like the Terminator equivalent of a football player? Eventually, they're, you know, they're going to cut him open and find it was really just, you know, a machine with like a skin on top, I think. I don't know. Because everybody else retires. You know, if your, career, if your life is your military career, eventually that'll be gone too. And you'll be some old dude with a VFW hat, marching in a parade, and everybody goes, who are these old dudes? Why are they out here? What nursing home do we pull them out of? 
I'm not saying I said that. <laughs> but eventually, everybody will be forgotten about. Everybody will. Does that mean that that's not valuable and worth giving your life to? No, I'm not saying that. But if that's more important to you than your loving relationship with God, that's a problem. I keep this rope here for this reason. Talk about how this really is what represents your life. From the time it begins throughout all eternity. And your actual time on this earth is this little section right here. You know, your growth and your career, your retirement years. A lot of people sort of live for this retirement year as your life right now, maybe all about your retirement savings and saving up enough and worried about Social Security, what you're going to be putting in your off, because that's what your life is right now, because your life is about you and your love for that. And God says, you need to get to the point where you realize your loving relationship with me is what helps you understand what life really is. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 17. He says, he says that this is eternal life, that they know you, the one and true only God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's what life is. Because only when you have a loving relationship with God do you begin to realize this isn't your life. This is your life. This is your life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is your life. And if this is your life, everything else you could love outside of me is only here. It's only here. So how important is it that you love me? Is it really a matter of life and death? Is it a matter of not even understanding what life is? Yes. So what would a loving God say to you about the importance of having a loving relationship with him. That's why he says, I command you. It's the most important commandment there is. Love me. Love me. Because without that, you don't even have life. You don't even know what life is. John, please, we close our time in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, that um, for your directness, even at the risk of our misunderstanding words like this, as we press in and truly search out exactly what it is that you've said and why that you've said it, may we all understand just how loving that statement is. As loving any command we could give a child for their own protection to look both ways before crossing the street or to hold my hand. is a loving direction that simply says, love me, that you might listen to my voice and know that I am life. And outside of me, there is no life. So Father, may we explore and enjoy and learn more about your love for us such that it wouldn't be just something that we consume, but something that moves us into a loving relationship with you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.